Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 9, verses 14 to 26, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 9, verses 14 to 26. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is... The skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, A woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, He said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl rose. And the report of this went through that whole district. This is the word of the Lord. Let us mark in this passage the gracious name by which the Lord Jesus speaks of himself. He calls himself the bridegroom. What the bridegroom is to the bride, the Lord Jesus is to the souls of all who believe in him. He loves them with a deep and everlasting love. He takes them into union with himself. They are one with Christ and Christ in them. He pays all their debts to God. He supplies all their daily need. He sympathizes with them in all their troubles. He bears with them in all their infirmities and does not reject them for a few weaknesses. He regards them as part of himself. Those that persecute and injure them are persecuting him. The glory that he has received from the Father, they will one day share with him. And where he is, there shall they be. Such are the privileges of all true Christians. They are the Lamb's wife. Revelation 19 verse 7. Such is the portion to which faith admits us. By it, God joins our poor, sinful souls to one precious husband, and those whom God joins together will never be separated. Blessed indeed are those who believe. Let us mark in the next place. What a wise principle the Lord Jesus lays down for the treatment of young disciples. There were some who found fault with our Lord's followers because they did not fast as John the Baptist's disciples did. 
our Lord defends his disciples with an argument full of deep wisdom. He shows that there would be a lack of fitness in their fasting, so long as he, their bridegroom, was with them. But he does not stop there. He goes on to show by two parables that young beginners in the school of Christianity must be dealt with gently. They must be taught as they are able to bear. They must not be expected to receive everything at once. To neglect this rule would be as unwise as to put new wine into old bottles, or to put a piece of new cloth to an old garment. There is a mine of deep wisdom in this, which all would do well to remember in the spiritual teaching of those who are young in experience. We must be careful not to attach such excessive importance to the lesser things of religion. We must not be in a hurry to require a minute conformity to one rigid rule in things indifferent until the first principles of repentance and faith have been thoroughly learned. To guide us in this matter, we have great need to pray for grace and Christian common sense. Tact in dealing with young disciples is a rare gift, but a very useful one. To know what to insist upon as absolutely necessary from the first, and what to reserve as a lesson to be learned when the learner has come to more perfect knowledge, is one of the highest attainments of a teacher of souls. Let us mark in the next place what encouragement our Lord gives to the humblest faith. We read in this passage that a woman severely afflicted with disease came behind our Lord in the crowd and touched the hem of his garment in the hope that by so doing she would be healed. She said not a word to obtain help. She made no public confession of faith, but she had confidence that if she could only touch his garment, she would be made well. And so it was. There lay hidden in that act of hers a seed of precious faith which obtained our Lord's commendation. She was made whole at once and returned home in peace. To use the words of a good old writer, she came trembling and went back triumphing. Let us store up in our minds this history. It may perhaps help us mightily in some hour of need. Our faith may be feeble, Our courage may be small. Our grasp of the gospel and its promises may be weak and trembling. But, after all, the grand question is, do we really trust in Christ alone? Do we look to Jesus and only to Jesus for pardon and peace? If this be so, it is well. If we may not touch his garment, we can touch his heart. Such faith saves the soul. Weak faith is less comfortable than strong faith. Weak faith will carry us to heaven with far less joy than full assurance. But weak faith gives an interest in Christ as surely as strong faith does. He that only touches the hem of Christ's garment will never perish. In the last place, Let us mark in this passage our Lord's almighty power. He restores to life one that was dead. How wonderful that sight must have been! Who that has ever seen the dead can forget the stillness, the silence, the coldness when the breath has left the body? Who can forget the dreadful feeling 
that a mighty change has taken place and a mighty gulf has been placed between ourselves and the departed. But behold, our Lord goes to the chamber where the dead lies and calls the spirit back to its once earthly tabernacle. The pulse once more beats, the eyes once more see, the breath once more comes and goes. The ruler's daughter is once more alive and restored to her father and mother. This was omnipotence indeed. None could have done this but he who first created man and has all power in heaven and earth. This is the kind of truth we never can know too well. The more clearly we see Christ's power, the more likely we are to realize gospel peace. Our position may be trying. Our hearts may be weak. The world may be difficult to journey through. Our faith may seem too small to carry us home. But let us take courage when we think on Jesus and not be cast down. Greater is he that is for us than all those who are against us. Our Savior can raise the dead. Our Savior is almighty. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his. Life.